0: Hello, gang. Uh, My name is Luke Thomas. It is Thursday. We normally do this on Wednesday. Today is uh, Thursday, April 23rd, 2015, and this is episode 135, I think. It might be episode like 170 as far as I know, but I think it's episode 135 of the Promotional Malpractice Live Chat. It's me and my main man, Barbus, (laughs) doing our thing uh, here on this wonderful Thursday. Today on the chat, we'll talk about, let's see... um, UFC 186 is on Saturday. We'll talk about that card, all aspects of it. Uh, let's see. Rampage Jackson is back on the card, and the strangest thing that's ever happened, but he's back on the card. So we'll talk about that as well. We'll talk about uh, what's the future with him in Bellator. I have an article coming out about it at 3 p.m., so take a look there. Um, and let's see. What else? There's Invicta on Friday. There's Oh, the they changed the Reebok sponsorship from the media voting panel to uh, tenure. All kinds of good stuff is going to be on the chat this week. So, but, oh, I'm I'm flying out Monday for Mayweather-Pacquiao. All kinds of stuff, y'all. Anyway, uh, best place to get your questions in is on MMAfighting.com. You may also tweet me at SBN Luke Thomas, um, and of course, you may like me on Facebook.com/slash Luke T Sports. With that out of the way, uh, this is not brought to you officially, but I wanted to try this. No sugar, no artificial sweeteners. Contains caffeine. Zevia, y'all ever had this? I bet it tastes terrible let's try this joker all right let's see yeah that's bad (laughs) that is terrible um when you hear that noise of course please be uh kind and share either on facebook or on twitter or any kind of social media this video which you can give a thumbs up to or the mmafighting.com link whatever you want to share just get up there and share let folks know you're watching Um, Would appreciate any kind of help and help getting the word out about this lovely live chat that we do. All right, Barbas, I got to put you down, say goodbye, and uh, give me a kiss. All right, well, don't, jerk. Get down there. All right. With that out of the way, let's get to the first round of questions, shall we? All right, first up. One says, uh, the to heavyweight with the door looking closed now in two divisions. What do you think of the chances of us seeing Machida at heavyweight? He's fought there before. Um, in a different era, though, I would say, um, the chances of seeing Machida at heavyweight are zero. All right, potential matchups. I mean, I just don't know what, I don't know what more analysis I can give there. I, the idea of UFC being interested in a fight like that, the idea of there being an important fight like that, the idea of giving a guy who is, um, I think, had longevity because he's taken care of himself and fought in a way that isn't too reliant on abuse, um, is still nevertheless older. I think he's 30, what, 36, going to be 37 soon. And so putting him in a heavyweight fight at the highest level anyway does not make a tremendous amount of sense um so it says potential matchups what do you like out of the following machida versus bisping i like machida machida versus kennedy that's a little bit tougher call that's a very tough call i might even go kennedy on that one but i don't know i could see machida being the favorite there machida versus lighties um man you know i was not overly impressed with the balance of machida recently i I'd still go Machida, but that's a tough one. Jacare versus Romero. I'd probably go Jacare. Jacare versus Lighties, I would definitely go Jacare. Holloway versus Mendez. I'd probably go Mendez, but man, that's a tough fight. Holloway versus Lamas. I might go Holloway on that one. Holloway versus Edgar versus Faber. Loser. So then I would suspect that's going to be Faber, and I would definitely take Holloway in that fight. Faber is uh, obviously a tremendous athlete and has had amazing career longevity and career success but um one of the things that i found that when you look and i could be wrong of course but my sense about things is that at team alpha male we had discussed previously why was Dwayne ludwig so effective and to a, a, a lesser extent not because he's not as good of a coach but because he came after some, some of that um dramatic growth experience that being morton campman but why was team alpha male able to have this um, they still don't have the old well, TJ has the, the title, but they're still the rest of the team didn't quite catch up. But I think it's fair to say that there was a lot of growth in the last couple of years, technically at team alpha male. And I think the reason why is because of the makeup of the team, right? We discussed this previously, that being, they're all basically the same makeup. Now, of course, there's many differences in size and ability and preferences and everything else, but they're short sub lightweight for the most part wrestlers wrestle boxers basically and so when you get a guy like Dwayne Lugwood coming in there who's probably a good coach and has a skill set that they all really lack he's able to produce meaningful resulting change at scale right you can't do that kind of scale at American Top Team or Black Zillions or really any other camp because it's just a hodgepodge of different guys in different weight classes I mean they have many many guys in those weight classes but the camp itself doesn't have an identity Team Alpha Male is very unique in that regard. And so when one person comes in and has a lot of skills that everyone kind of lacks to varying degrees, there's able to be a lot of progress. But I don't know if it's a function of that he was older or that there was friction between Faber and Ludwig or whatever the case, but Faber has still been one of these guys who, uh, obviously striking is tremendous. It's improved a lot. Look, again, this is not an indictment on his career. His career has been, you know, totally exceptional in, in virtually every regard. But... I haven't seen the same kind of technical progress in the ability to, you know, put together angles and jab his way into things. I still see a lot of lunging in and out of range. And so I just wonder if he was able to benefit as much for whatever the reasons may be of Ludwig's uh, tutelage or or, or not. It seems like he was not, you know, I would not look to him as an example of a a primary um, beneficiary. Uh, Let's see. Promotion. I was thinking about good fighters with poor self promotional abilities and wondered if you know of any major gyms that do any kind of media education as a part of the training, especially given its importance in the wider context of MMA. There are no gyms that I'm aware of that do that in any kind of formal way. Certainly, there's probably a mentorship between fighters from graduating and then sort of less senior classes. Right, There's a guy who's been in the UFC for five years versus a guy who's making his UFC debut. I can tell you that at like division one schools like in the United States, if you're a European, this is like division one is the highest level of uh, athletics in college. You know, if you're a division one football player, at all, it's almost the inverse of what you're talking about. That kind of media training is, you know, if the press asks you without revealing too much, without saying the wrong things, just how to be smart about the process to keep the train on the tracks more or less so in that sense and th- and that's important for those guys because they don't want to say other things they don't want to be a distraction these are these are guys who are less than 22 years old uh, in almost every case they don't want to be the guy who says something that causes headlines for all the wrong reasons um, and they don't want to attract headlines for all the wrong reasons they want to let the rest of the organic enthusiasm about the iron bowl so auburn versus alabama let's say do all the talking for them Um, unless they have something positive they want to share in which case they do that as well because that's how it works so um mma is totally different mma is a sport where like being crazy or unprofessional or totally erratic just has tremendous benefit um in many many circumstances not all of them of course um but there's just so many examples it's like well this guy is unprofessional for our sport oh oh right is that why he's rich Seems like the two are pretty related to your boy. Um, So, to answer the question generally, I'm not aware of any camp that goes through it formally, but there probably is just a direct thing of humans and many animals generally, they learn by watching. you know. Um, And so, I think there's probably a lot of situations where they see somebody in a camp doing something and maybe they can't mimic that exactly, but they'll pick up pieces and then everyone sort of uh, learns from there to varying degrees. Uh... There's not a question here. Someone says, what do you think deserves the next shot? Who do you think deserves the next shot? Excuse me. Jacare or Rockhold? I thought Jacare put up, I thought Jacare before, but after seeing Rockhold destroy Leoto, my opinion has shifted. Someone says, there was never a debate in the first place. Even prior to the rockhold Leoto fight, sorry, Rockhold has fought better guys and Jacare hasn't fought anyone in the top 10. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I would argue generally one, I know it's been a while ago, but Rockhold defeated Jacare. I would also argue that, whatever you thought of what could happen against Romero, it would have had to have been incredible to match what Rockhold did against Machida. There's just too much enthusiasm and momentum behind Rockhold to deny him at this point. I think it would have been good for MMA. I truly believe this. If, if Ray had had a chance to compete against Romero to at least make it a debate, right? To at least make it, you know, have the fans going back and forth and, and to discuss the merits. I, a lot of times these end up being flame wars on, you know, various comment threads, but I also think it's a healthy discussion to have, generally speaking. Um, but I don't think there's much debate here. I really don't. You need a dancing partner to advance at the highest levels. I wrote about this on Signal to Noise. You see so many guys being like, eh, I don't really care what the UFC puts in front of me. And for the most part, they're telling the truth because it doesn't really matter who the UFC puts in front of them. They're not really in a position where who they put in front of them matters so so dramatically. But when you get to the very top, boy, it matters then, doesn't it? It really matters then, which isn't to say guys at the very top don't say that exact same thing, but I think you'll probably, and I, I'm just guessing here, but if someone measured it, I'm betting at the very top, there would be fewer guys saying things like, well, you know what? It just doesn't really matter to me. Whoever the UFC puts in front of me, I'm betting that on average, there's a higher level of specific callouts or specific requests if not a name, then a number one contender fight. If not a number one contender fight, then a title shot. I don't think guys in the top three of a division are particularly eager at saying, well, it doesn't matter. No, I mean, when you're that close, you can taste it. And you realize who might be in front of you and who might not be. There's an impending sense of this is gonna, And especially if you're like in your mid to late, I would say uh, early to mid thirties anyway. You know, you have a sense of, man, if it doesn't happen now, is it going to happen? Like guys just don't get title shots very often, you know? It's very hard to do. To get 2 or 3 of them is like really hard to do. It's why like I think Kenny Florian's resume is particularly impressive. It's like, "Oh, he never got a title shot." Well, he got like the next best thing. You know, it's so rare for someone to get a title shot. I think I was talking to the guys from um, Fight Metric and I have the nearly 600 fighters on the UFC roster, how many had a, had a 3 fight or a longer win streak? And it was something like 42. You know, that's just a three-fight win streak, much less a title shot. Like, it's really hard to get one. He got three of them, I think, right? Two or three of them, uh, at least in two different weight classes. So you get the idea. They're same with Faber to a lesser extent. Everybody. All right. Rockhold Weidman, who you got? Man, I don't know. It's a really tough one because you look at what happened with Weidman and, and Machida and you say, well... That was pretty impressive by Chris Weidman, but he didn't beat him nearly as easily as Luke Rockhold did. But then you could say, well, what about the war that that was and what that took out of him? And then you could say, okay, well, that's true. What did it take out of Weidman? But then you could say, well, he's still a lot younger and has a lot less miles on him. Okay, then how do they match up generally? Weidman seems to believe he's better on the ground. I have a hard time believing that. I think they might be pretty even in that regard. Who's the better boxer? I would probably say Weidman. Who's the better overall striker? Which may not matter, right? Because if you have one aspect of striking that's better than, that's so good that it's better than the person's general well-roundedness and their general well-roundedness will get swallowed in the process. I'm not saying that's the case, but that can be a situation you could face. Um, Yeah, I would say Rockhold is the better overall striker. I would also say, I don't know if I say that exactly, the last part the thing I was about to say anyway. But yeah, I think Rock holds a better overall grappler and a better overall striker. The question is, is he a better wrestler? No. Is he a better boxer? No. Um, so what does that mean in the end? I don't know. It was funny about Michael Bisping, you know? Michael Bisping obviously knows the game in and out. I would never suggest otherwise. Nor am I saying is he wrong for feeling the way he's feeling. But it was just funny to me recently to be like, I'm not sold on Weidman. Those Silva fights are bizarre, right? they're totally bizarre because you Silva comes out and looks basically terrible or at least not very good at all against Nick Diaz. I, I, terribles. No, let me take that back. He does not look terrible, but he doesn't look very, you know, particularly impressive. He just looks very much his age and, and, and Diaz is a very good fighter, of course, but he just didn't, didn't quite have that snap and pop. Right. Um, and what's the reason for that? Was it the layoff? Was it who, who knows? Um, But the the point being is those two wins over Silva were unequivocal and yet so far from anything bordering on definitive that even with those wins and even what he did against Machida, who is, I mean, as credentialed as they come, you can still be in a position to say, just not totally sold on Weidman, and you're not exactly crazy. You're just not. You're not. I'm not saying I endorse that view, but I can understand it, and I can understand it from someone who, like Michael Bisping, who watches the game, who participates in the game. Two different things, you know. A lot of fighters don't watch. He watches. He watches, and so for me, um, it's just kind of crazy. That I'm not saying that people think, oh, well, Luke Rockhold is totally vetted, although they might think he's a little bit more so given just the degree of dominance that he showed. But man, has he erased the bad taste of people's mouth about that Vitor Belfort loss or what? You know, and that's the funny part about it. It's like it's a very different Vitor Belfort that Chris Wybin's gonna face, but I just mean on paper anyway, Wybin's gonna probably, all things being equal, have a, have a win over Vitor belfort the very guy that just shellacked Luke Rockhold. And who knows? Maybe Rockhold comes in as the favorite. Uh, I don't think that's likely, but I bet you there's going to be a lot of dispute about that opinion. I bet you. Um, Let's assume that Weidman comes in and says... uh, uh, Let's walk it back a second. Let's assume that Weidman comes in and has the performance over Vitor Belfour that most expect he will have. Fairly dominant, stops him within, let's say, two or maybe three rounds, right? Doesn't surrender a round before that. Okay, if that happens, then who do you like? does it really change your opinion um i think it probably will a little bit i find that there's a real really strong recency effect in mixed martial arts where the last guy to compete often is buoyed by enthusiasm real or imagined and so i suspect that will that will probably leave weidman as the favorite but I bet you that among the sort of cognoscenti or whatever you want to describe it, that there will be a pretty clear split opinion on who folks will like in that one. And, and how could you blame them? You know, people were split on Rockhold versus Machida. And I didn't think that was crazy either. Like before that fight going into it, if you pick Machida, were you some idiot? No. And if you pick Rockhold, were you just like, you know, uh, flipping a coin and coming up with Rockhold? No, of course not. Like there was good reasons to pick both in the end, you know, a fight is what it is. But, um, Yeah, Weidman versus Rockhold is just really tough. But if, surely though, we can say this, surely, unless it's a crazy thing that happens again, but surely if Weidman beats Rockhold, (laughs) right? Or let's say by unanimous decision, not by split, but by unanimous, or he stops him one way or the other. That has to be the fight that you're like, okay, I'm either... I know who Chris Wybin is at this point. That has to be the final point, right? I think many folks finally got to that after the Machida win. But if there are lingering doubts about him, fair or unfair, there just are. Um, even if you don't have them, other people do. All right, UFC 186. What do you expect the buy rate for UFC 186 will be with the addition of the Rampage? I had addressed this later on in the thread already because folks were reacting to some of the things that I'd written about the rampage case, which I'll get to separately. Um, but I'll address this part of it. Here's why I don't think rampage will do much for them because, uh, first of all, the card, irrespective of him being on it, has already been fairly significantly damaged. Okay. Um, secondly, he's being added what, th- what today's Thursday. He was added, what, Monday or Tuesday, Tuesday. He was added Tuesday cause I was driving to the gym when it happened. Um, so there's that. Um, but I think the point being is this, like, what happened here? Because everyone was like, oh, my God, UFC won again. And, and to an extent, they did, right? I mean, they didn't lose exactly. But in in, in reality, I'm not sure what they gained here. So let's just sort of inventory what has happened. Um, what's still in play? Number one, they had to remove him from the fight card publicly. They had to bring in a substitute publicly that dampened enthusiasm probably both as a matter of purchasing the pay-per-view creating further awareness of the event generally and then of course in generating interest for live attendees in or around Montreal that had to hurt Um, in addition they had to remove him so much so that they had to remove him not just from the fight card but from the posters as well if you watch the new embedded they're signing a poster that Rampage isn't even on right so they had to just sort of move on without him even when they still had pending litigation that tells you exactly what their priorities were that they probably were hoping for an outcome that they got, um, but they weren't counting on it. The chances of it were so slim that they said, we have to remove him publicly from the fight card um, because the the court order came down saying, you can't do this. So they had to comply, right? Um, They could still pursue the legal option, which they did. And of course, it was successful in in a small regard anyway. Enough for the short run, let's put it that way. but the point being is they never really got to leverage Rampage. There was always this uncertainty about him. He was eventually removed. He did get back on, but there was, it was never anything you could sink your teeth into as a, as a real anchor for this card, right? You just couldn't do that. It was not an option for you, uh, either as a pay-per-view buyer early. Now, late it's different, but early. Or uh, as someone is attending live. Um, let's see what's also still in play. The rest of the injunction is still in play. The rest of the lawsuit is still in play. We can also not discount what Viacom may pursue in terms of wanting to sue UFC going forward. I'm not saying that they will or they won't, but I'd be, you don't think they are having a discussion about that. I would be, I would be surprised if there's no discussion about that one way or the other. Um, and rampage may fight again in the the UFC and he may not, but here's what's going to happen at a minimum. If he is booked for another UFC fight there's going to be another injunction filed against him. It's just going to happen, right? Um, Because the judge in this case did not really address what happens in the future, just this event. So what's going to happen with pay-per-views? I don't think it'll hurt in any capacity. I don't think it'll meaningfully change it much either. So I think it'll help, but not to a really huge degree. I I don't expect 200,000 I'd be surprised by. Not, Not surprised, like, whoa, surprised, but like, Let's say this, 200000 is what I would call at the upper end of what I'm expecting. Um, Just because the fight itself is kind of strange, irrespective of what happened to it, I just mean Rampage versus Maldonado. It's a a barn burner for sure. I mean, these two guys are going to slug it out. There's no doubt about that. But just the way in which he was on the card, then off the card, then now really late on the card, but he's not part of the promotion in terms of uh, other things that they can leverage uh uh was he even a part of the countdown show i don't think he was even a part of the countdown show so you know uh, it was just really not anything they could use as a rallying point with enough time to make it truly count and then there's also just the open question of you know even if they had had all that time what kind of a draw is rampage generally so look ufc certainly won the case that they're going to have him on the card for now and rampage certainly won the case they're going to have him on the card for now but it is i mean he there was a bloodletting before that happened and the future is anything but certain. Good fight. I like the potential Darius versus Iaquinta matchup. What's your take on it? Yeah, great point. I think Darius' striking has also come along. I think what I saw against Miller was that I liked his wrestling. Certainly his jiu-jitsu, once you get there, I think he would have his way with Al, you know? Um, but the question for me is, this is going to be... Again, we live in a different era where there's not so much these, like, stark, clear black and white paradigms about who these guys are. But in a modern context, this to me very much looks like striker versus grappler in the sense that I expect Darius to have a much more variety, uh, or excuse me, I should say, a much more varied attack, whereas I expect Iaquinta to really home in on what he does the best, specifically narrower options, but really potent options, right? And so that's what I expect here. I don't mean that it's going to be, can one guy get it to the floor and one guy stop it, it's not that exactly. It's more of, can one guy mix up attacks that involve the ground and other things? And I'm sure if he got to the ground, he would exploit it. You know what I mean? Versus one guy saying, look, there's one piece of things I do really well. All right. Let's focus in on that. Quick, true, false. Uh, do fighters usually pay a percentage of their performance or fire the night bonus to managers and trainers? I think it depends on their independent contract or their, their agreements with their managers. They probably have some bonus clause one way or the other. Uh, Drysdale is still in the UFC. I don't even know. Is he? Kevin Casey cracks top 15. Never. CM Punk debuts in 2016. Sounds about right. Maybe late 2015. If I were him, I, I wouldn't do it 2015. I would just use a whole year to train and not anything else. Holloway challenges for the title. Holloway challenges. I'll say true. Rampage still ends up in Bellator. God, at this point, who knows? UFC 186 does over 150,000 pay-per-view buys. I will say yes. I expect it to do right around 150. So I'll say yes. Uh, Someone asks, the concept of tenure for independent contractors. Luke, when the Reebok deal was first announced, you brought up how questionable it was to require a uniform for independent contractors. Now that years of service or number of fights will be a criteria used to determine what cut the fighters will get from this Reebok deal. Does this further cloud the independent contractor issue? Yes, it does. What will it take for the UFC to finally treat its fighters as full-time employees and afford them the benefits of such? And I wrote in here, and that's what I believe. I don't think that that will change unless there's litigation. I just don't. Um, And I'm not... I have no say or stake in the matter generally. Um, This is not for me to decide or to advocate for or to dissuade. But if you're just asking me realistically, how do you get from A to B? Litigation. I don't see how else it happens. Um, In all of these cases where employers recognize um, what were previously independent contractors as now employees, let's say FedEx, for example, they got sued. They got sued by their own, at the time, independent contractors, who were suing for employment status. Either the court did or didn't agree, and that's how they got. Or in this, you know, case of FedEx, they agreed. Or maybe it was you. Uh, maybe it was um, UPS. Whatever the case, one of the two. And um, when they moved to this, the new paradigm, that's it. I don't see how else they get there. You know, a strike, or you know, I guess, but. Fighters don't really seem to be willing to do e- either one of those two things, but uh, that's how they get there. But yeah, like um, there was a, a lot of uh, hemming and hauling made about the independent contractor article I wrote initially and also about the uniform detail. Let me just rev- revisit that very, very, very quickly and move on to the next question. A lot of folks pushed back and they said, well, look, I'm an independent contractor and I've had work that where I've done, uh, I've shown up for an event. And uh, at the course of the event, I had to wear a uniform as required by my, uh, the other person who was employing me for my independent contracting services. I would offer you two responses. One, it is not that wearing a uniform in and of itself is the final criteria that one uses to then say, ah, look, you make me wear a uniform, I will take you to court. This clearly proves I'm an, I'm an employee and not an independent contractor. It is one of many different criteria they use in, as a whole. Right? So there are cases where you wouldn't even have to wear a uniform, ostensibly, and you could still sue and still become an, a, an employee. There are cases where, you, as you noted, you might have a uniform you wear, you could sue and lose. So a uniform in and of itself does not mean that. However, when they're looking at the balance of things, the, the, the government, they look for certain things and on an itemized list of things that they look for, among many others, one of which is, are you required to wear a uniform? should also be noted UFC does not call them uniforms they call them like athletic equipment or something like that but they're never they're they're quite explicit about not calling them uniforms um and, and I, I just think the, um the other part is that it could be the opposite right you could say well look I had to go to this event this work week event as an independent contractor and I had to wear a uniform so that uniform doesn't mean anything it's like you realize that that person could have been breaking the rules but because you never challenged them it doesn't matter right like just because that happened does not mean it's okay it just means that it happened and since there's no one really to challenge it it just goes unchallenged so understand that what the with the uniform means in this particular case you're saying or you're asking well you're adding now tenure to a uniform policy payout based on uh, or you excuse me it's a, it's a it's a payout system based on a uniform um, that you're giving to independent contractors like how does this not an employee and my response is maybe it is maybe it isn't but certainly it fits the test generally that you're now adding tenure to independent contractors to help pay out based on a uniform I mean this has all the trimmings of employment but here's the fact. If and until someone challenges it, it means nothing. It means nothing. If they don't do anything about challenging it, it means nothing. And even if they do challenge it, it doesn't mean they're going to win. Remember, there's many set points of criteria that have to be addressed. But to get revisit the previous point, if they don't ever challenge it, it will just stand. It will just be. It's not like you're going to go and lock up people for this. That's not it's not a crime like that. That's not how this works. So maybe nothing ever happens as a consequence of it. But you can, that doesn't mean that from an intellectual perspective, we can't analyze how close they're getting to this line or have maybe since passed it. Ultimately, it's for a court to decide. And if a court doesn't decide it, then the only person who does decide it is going to be UFC. Next for Max Holloway. Everybody is pushing Max Holloway to fight Chad Mendes next. I very much disagree. I believe such a young and raw talent should continue to be pushed along as a developmental path. I think you should either fight Ricardo Lamas or Oliveira Lentz next. What do you think? Um, I disagree. I disagree. I think that certainly I was. Um, look, if a fighter reaches a point where he's beating a perennial contender, top contender, like Cub Swanson, the, the time for development is basically over. Not entirely. I wouldn't begrudge one more fight along the lines of what you're talking about, but if he fights Ricardo Lamas or the winner of Oliveira or or Oliveira or, Lentz or whatever the case may be, certainly in the case of Lamas, you're not you're not being developed anymore. Now, maybe you are as a contender in terms of like the promotional process in the long game. But if you just beat Cub Swanson, and you didn't just beat him, like you thoroughly beat Cub Swanson. You beat Cub Swanson everywhere. Everywhere. There was no portion of the game where you lost. You won on striking on the inside. You won on striking on the outside. You won on your defensive wrestling versus their offensive wrestling. You won on literally stopped him with your jiu-jitsu um almost twice he barely got out of the side choke we, we are past the point where you are a prospect you are now officially a contender so if you want to bring him along in the sense that maybe you feel like one more fight against someone else would be good for him i won't disagree with you but i also won't tell you that's essential because it's not or if you want to say I would like to see Chad Mendez fight uh, Frankie Edgar if Edgar gets past Faber, I wouldn't be against that either. Um, but what I would be against is the idea that he is still on some sort of developmental track. He is not. He is not. He is too far advanced for that. He has graduated now. That was the coronation. That Cub Swanson fight was the coronation of Max Holloway from prospect to contender. Bang. Made it right? That's it. Um, and sometimes the fights of a, of a person's career aren't quite so stark in how clearly they tell you that. Sometimes it's a body of work before you get a general sense. I mean, look at someone like Neil Magney, right? Um, you would probably say, yes, he definitely clearly unequivocally deserves an uptick in opposition. Look at what he's done. We previously mentioned the three-fight win streak. What's he on? Six or seven at this point in terms of the win streak? I mean, that's that's a remarkable achievement in modern mixed martial arts, but He hasn't beaten anyone that would make you say he's officially a contender. And moreover, he hasn't beaten anyone in the way that Cub Swanson was defeated by Max Holloway uh, to make you say, wow, Neil Magny is, I mean, this is a top contender. Dude, Max Holloway is right up there now. He is right up there. That, that, That was such a performance of magnificence that it is almost an insult to call him a prospect now. Max Holloway is among the elite of the featherweights in the world, and there's just no debate about it. Uh, Middleweights. I know we still have Vitor Weidman coming up, but assuming Vitor loses, I think it's safe to say the top four middleweights would be Rockhold, Jacare, Romero, and obviously Weidman. If these four were in a one-night old-school tournament, who would you pick to win? I would pick... God, I don't know, man. Until... (laughs) <laughs> there's so many of, first of all, watch all this talk about Weidman and Rockhold just lead to the fact that like, watch, watch, watch Vitor go in there and just wreck them out of nowhere. You know, that's just how MMA works at this point. You um, know, old school four four man one night tournament. Well, obviously it would depend on the seating. So let's say, let's say we had Rockhold versus Romero on one side and Jacare array. Versus Wyman on the other. I would pick Rockhold to beat Romero, and I would pick Weidman to beat Jacare. Which means you have Rockhold versus Weidman, which is where we end up. And from there, I don't know. I tr- I truly don't know. When that fight comes up, if and when it ever does, I'm going to be forced to make a prediction because that's just how it works in the business. But I'm going to make a point of knowing or noting, unless one of these guys is like clearly unequivocally hurt, I I really just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, All right, true, false. Weidman beats Vitor in two rounds or less. I will say true. Tim Means pulls off the upset and finishes Matt Brown in a fight of the year candidate. I will say false. Kane pulls out of his title fight at 188. False. I mean, it might, I don't know. Jones breaks every record set by GSP and Anderson. If he chooses to. If it transpires, Habib versus Dos Anjos 2 looks identical to their first fight. Uh, I won't say identical, but pretty damn close. Miles Jury would finish McGregor. False. Stipe Miocic beats John Jones. False. Dominic Cruz never fights again. False. This is a morbid one. A fighter dies in the cage as a direct result of a fight in the UFC, Bellator, a World Series of Fighting in the next five years. God, I hope not. Miocic versus Hunt. How do you see this fight playing out, and would the winner be likely to get the title shot next? Um, I suspect that Miocic is going to win because I think think he's going to be wise about using his wrestling, even with Hunt's improved takedown defense. I think Miocic's chin is ridiculous, even though that war with Dos Santos was uh, brutal. I still think he's got... He hasn't taken a a ton of damage beyond that. And so, I like Miocic's Miocic's chances here. That's a tongue twister a little bit. So, buddy. Um, And will the winner get a title shot next? Miocic... ah. Maybe, but that would be an awfully thin way to get a title shot. I probably not. But who knows what they're going to do in that division, man? You got Dos Santos who who beat Miochich. and just they can't they can't in good conscience give him another Velasquez fight. It's almost like if Verdun wins, it's a blessing because you can either do a rematch or you can do a rematch with Dos Santos. You can do all kinds of stuff if Verdun wins. If Kane wins, it's like. Ugh. But it'd also be good for the Mexican market, so, you know, whatever. What do you think about the Matisse-Provodnikov fight? On a more disgusting note, what causes a fighter to pee black like Provodnikov did? Uh, Someone mentions it's liver damage, which is my understanding as well. If you're peeing blood, I I think that's related to the kidneys. Um, I'm sure there's some kidney damage in there as well. Do Provodnikov? I mean, you're just talking about a dude with an unbelievable ability to take punishment, and that's unfortunate in the sense of his long-term health, but, you know, you go back and watch the Bradley fight or you watch the Matisse fight more recently and you're just like, what is this dude made of? You know, uh, <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, it's not like his skin doesn't cut. His skin cuts like normal. He had, a, he got headbutted in the Matisse fight. And there was this giant wound, you know? This doesn't seem to affect him at all, and his, he looked like when he was talking to Max Kellerman after the fight he looked like and I wrote this on Twitter that he'd been mauled by a bear, and I'm not even exaggerating his face looked effed up, effed up, and he was over there being like, yeah, it's the hardest punch I've ever faced. um just sort of went on through with it. It's amazing, but you know it's tough it's tough fights against Bradley and then Algeria, and then now Matisse, you know it's clearly that his boxing uh, acumen. Is, um, is not necessarily all that great. It's just he's buoyed by this ridiculous ability to take a shot. All right. Your take on the fights announced yesterday. I was busy yesterday, so I didn't see any of these. Rustam Habelov versus Danny Castillo for UFC and FOX 16. I like that fight. It's good. Eric Koch versus Ramsey Nijum for FOX 16. Uh, that should be a lightweight fight because Koch moved up, so that should be good. Uh, Eric Silva versus Rick Story. I love that fight. Uh, we mentioned it before. Ally Quinta versus Benil Dariush. Josh Salmon versus Kayo Magalash. That's a good fight. I think Salmon is going to need to work on his takedown defense, though, because Magalash is going to be gunning for that double leg. Uh, and then Tim Kennedy versus Machida in a loser leaves Town Fight. That was not formally announced, but certainly there's some interest there. Also, Alan Juban versus Matt Dwyer. Uh, I don't have a tremendous amount of interest for that one. Um, but Kennedy versus Machida. I mean, who hates that fight, right? Three do's and don'ts when you write a story. Three do's and don'ts when you... Can you name three do's and don'ts when you write a story? Uh, this is one thing I suck at, and everyone's going to laugh at me, but I I actually... Here's what's funny. I actually do try to copy edit. I, I know I may not seem that way sometimes because I'm terrible at it, but let me just say as a general rule, even if you suck at it, and actually, especially if you suck at it, you gotta do it multiple times. Copy editing is obviously important. That's a do. Um, also, a do, um, understanding that editing, not so much copy editing, but editing generally is more important than writing, I would argue. That's two. Uh, and then, so make sure editing is more important than writing. And then, three do's, I would say. Um, um, what's another do? I don't know. Let's just. Um, all right, don't. This is something I have had to learn on the job and I've had a problem with it before. So I say this as someone who has done this incorrectly. Do not meander with your point. Just just I can't say how many articles I read in MMA where it's like I have to get through three or four paragraphs of setup before it's like what your point is. I wanna see what you're I wanna know what you're talking about within the first four sentences, maximum maximum unless it's a long form and it's you know when these sort of like developmental story pieces but if you're just writing an opinion piece or something like that or an article if i don't know what you're trying to say within four sentences I'm, cl- I'm i'm closing the tab just that's it done period finished um so there's that also uh um you know i would say uh oh as another do if you are borrowing someone's idea that's okay just make sure you give it a link. Always be good about hyperlinking. Not just saying, oh, I got, you know, as so-and-so said in, you know, uh, I don't know, Yahoo or ESPN or or MMA Mania, whatever. Don't just say that. Link it. Link to what you're talking about. And then don'ts. So uh, don't forget to copy edit. <laughs> These are all the same, really. Um, and uh, yeah. I'm not sure what, what, but beyond that, I mean, I probably have a thousand of these, but when you put me on the spot, it's hard for me to imagine exactly what it is that I would pinpoint as something of more effective writing. Oh, um, here's one more do and one less don't. Uh, Do make sure to read as much as you can, as much as you can, even from people you disagree with. In fact, especially people you disagree with, or you can make that a don't. Don't avoid reading people you disagree with. Oh, this person, I'd never agree with what they have to say. Good. Make sure you understand why you don't agree and make sure there's an evidence-based reason to the extent you can manage one for why you think that this is incorrect being speculative is not wrong we live in a world where speculation is frankly unavoidable and sometimes even helpful but we should also live in a world where we understand why we believe what we believe and why we don't believe things we don't believe not merely as because we find them you know um this doesn't feel good to me or something like that, right? We have to live, We have to operate in a space where um, to the extent that there is any kind of evidence, uh, we, we can cobble it together and form an understanding. And you will be wrong even when you do that. It's inevitable. You will be wrong. But that, that's still, the. it's the process, right? As long as the process is good, more often than not, you'll be out of trouble. If you don't have a good process, you will always find yourself backpedaling or um, making kind of errors and things like that. Uh, let's see. Rampage situation. Luke, can you quickly run down what happened with the rampage situation, how he's able to still fight in the UFC? Yes. All right. So let's, let's get to this real quickly. So, what happened? So, uh, I have it, my article comes out about this in, at three. So, you can read that in much more detail there. But the long story short is the following um, an appellate court basically overruled um, Judge Souter and didn't overturn everything, just the portion of the injunction that related to um, Rampage fighting UFC 186. So here's what's going to happen. He's going to fight a UFC 186, and after that, everything else is still in play. Now, why did he overturn that? Well, the reason why is because you recall, and I'm not going to list them all here, but for a preliminary injunction to work, there's a four-part test that has to be made. One portion of the four-part test is that that the person, the plaintiff, suing the defendant, says, "If you don't stop the defendant from doing this, there will be irreparable harm that cannot be compensated by monetary damages alone. Right? You will be irreparably harmed." And you'll recall what Bellator said that they'd been told by managers that if they see other fighters just walking out of their contracts, they've been told that uh, by other managers that they would explore that option as well. At least it was something they would consider. Something that was they've been told was a possibility that that could happen. Judge Souter agreed. Judge Souter had written in her decision that look, there are other cases where, for example, there were boxers that signed uh, a promotional agreement with a promoter, but it was in addition to, from a non-exclusive standpoint, their agreements with other promoters. Right. The way the reason why the Rampage situation differed in her mind was because he signed an exclusive deal with Bellator. It'd be one thing if you said, look, I have contracts with PBC. I have contracts with, I mean, this doesn't exist, but it could in theory, um, um, Shaw promotions and Golden Boy and Mayweather promotions and things like that, right? Um, Where you had one in addition to, but it wasn't the exclusive one where you had one single promoter in charge of your event. And Judge Souter found that compelling, a compelling argument and and ruled in favor of, uh, or not ruled, but wrote an order in favor of Bellator in that regard. The interesting note about Judge Kennedy, the appellate court judge, he ruled or decided anyway that, well, uh, Judge Souter's ruling or judgment or order anyway uh, was made based on speculation without enough evidence. So on that portion of just the portion of Rampage fighting at UFC 186, we overturned that. Everything else is still, you know, it'll be what it'll be. Um, This is highly unusual. Right, So I, there were people who were being like, well, you had said on MMA Beat and other places that many attorneys had told you that um, he would never win on an appeal. And this is true. They all did. Uh, and the reason why, and I will tell you that I didn't include it in the story for three o'clock because it's not really relevant beyond uh, my own edification. But um, apparently the standard of review for a preliminary injunction is very high. Very high. So high, in fact, that after Bellator won, what did the UFC do? Let's look at that. Number one, they issued a press release saying, you know, we're disappointed. And, well, we were told that Rampage by Mr. Jackson was able to go and compete. We are going to review this matter. Did they not do that? They did do that. Number two, they yanked Rampage off the card and pulled in um, uh, Steve Bossy or Boss, whatever it is, however you ever properly pronounce it. To face Maldonado, so they complied with everything. They kept the emergency track going as a last-ditch effort, but all the lawyers looked at it, looked at it just as that, as a last-ditch effort that had a very low probability of winning. And why? Because, as it turns out, in almost every jurisdiction, um, to get a preliminary injunction overturned. You have to show that there was, what's the wording here? Let me pull this out. Uh, Is an abuse of discretion, which means a judgment will be termed an abuse of discretion if the adjudicator, in this case, Judge Souter, has failed to exercise sound, reasonable, and legal decision-making skills. Let me read you what one attorney wrote me as a... um, When I requested comment, this did not go in my article, but I'll read it to you here. This is the attorney talking, not me. In my opinion, you cannot read the trial court's decision and say there was an abuse of discretion or misapplication of the four-prong test. When I read the trial court's analysis, I did not necessarily agree, but understood the reasoning. The lower court produced a reasonable order that obviously took some time to research, ponder, and draft related to the irreparable harm prong. Remember, they didn't give a judgment right away. They delayed it, and I'm told they delayed it probably in most cases because they wanted to think about it. Uh, I'm troubled that the appellate court did not discuss the importance of standards of review. Um, And maybe while the appellate court felt compelled to produce a brief and quick written ruling because of the short time frame before the fight, uh, it is significant when a lower court's decision is overturned. The reversal should therefore be well articulated and given the gravity that that it deserves. I am not sure that has happened here. If you look at Judge Kennedy, the appellate court's uh, order, He doesn't even provide any evidence or doesn't address the standard of review at all. He just says, well, this is based on your speculation, sign the order. I mean, what do you do with that? Right? What do you do with that? Didn't address the rest of the injunction. Just that matter. Didn't address why he was challenging it for your standard of review and didn't give any explanation for why judge Suter had not used any evidence. If you look at judge Suter's ruling, look, I, you can ask a thousand attorneys. You're going to get different perspectives on everything, obviously, but everything she wrote was heavily citation. So, so that's why they felt that way. And that's why it was a, a huge surprise when everything got overturned. Um, now, in the end, what does that mean going forward? Who knows, right? Some attorneys that I contacted many. This is where actually opinion does split. Some attorneys I contacted been like, man, Like if Bellator is going to sue for damages, then they're only racking up more damages by doing this. Other folks say, well, look, yes, there's this court case that's still pending, but if judge Kennedy ruled, you know, there's no irreparable harm that's going to happen. If he fights a UFC 186, why can't UFC do that at any subsequent future fight? In other words, let's say Rampage wins at 186, and he wants to fight a UFC 190 down in Brazil. Let's just say what's to stop him from doing that, right? Because they can just go back to the court and say, well, look, this court said there was no irreparable harm. Can Bellator demonstrate that there was irreparable harm done in the last two, three months? And if they can't, and there's good reason to believe that maybe they can't, depending on the judge, they can just go and have another fight. And and the rest of some of that injunction may still go through, but um, but that portion won't. So it's... It's anything but clear as to what's going to happen next for Rampage Jackson. But the long and short of it is, it is a highly, highly, highly unusual thing for a preliminary injunction to be overturned. And it's even more unusual that in the writing that Judge Kennedy gave, did not address standard of review and did not give an explanation as to why it was overturned beyond saying that the lower court was just using speculation, which in the reading of the text, maybe you agree with, but there's also plenty of room to say, maybe you don't agree with that. All right. Possible decline of Leota Machida. A recurring theme in this live chat is the decline of aging fighters, which when it sets in, it's inevitability. Without disregarding Rockhold's marvelous performance, the fight had me wondering whether Machida's decline might be setting in. Did the fight give you any indication of that as well? And is Rockhold's win over Machida impressive in its own right, or do you value it slightly less if Machida's next performance is mediocre? So here's why I think you can split the difference and give both accounts of what happened, the proper due. So let's talk about what Rockhold did well. Rockhold's back control game is phenomenal from turtle establishing back and then keeping back and the reason why is because he does everything correctly he's got the right gr- the the great gripping systems the right hook entries um the proper methods of control moreover what i really liked about him what and what you did not see for example in Darius versus Miller Darius was constantly working on face cranks and going from bicep grips to gable grips and just could not finish Miller you saw that there was a different way in which Rockhold approached Machida. He realized this is not someone I'm going to sit here and hand fight for three rounds. I'm going to bludgeon you. I'm going to bludgeon you. And he had fantastic, well-balanced ground and pound. You notice that when he hit Machida, the, 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 the shots were precise, but it's not just a matter of landing the strikes. It's how the rest of your body balances on their back. He never got off balance. He has fantastic balance from the back. So all these kinds of, and by the way, do you see how he was able to use the seatbelt grip standing to do a step around throw and take Machida's back? This is high level stuff. I talked about that in the Monday morning analyst, super, 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 super high level stuff. So you can give Rockhold all the credit in the world and say, even a, a Machida that was much healthier or younger, would clearly still have had problems with this Rockhold. And I think that's a very fair comment to make that being said, you know, is Machida invincible? has he not suffered from from long fights and, and grueling wars most recently against Chris Wyman in some ways um, obviously there's no denying it a couple things that really took me by surprise machida's balance sucked in this fight to get slip on to slip once is one thing he slipped twice that's just unusual we're talking about a guy who has a, a reputed ability to um, you know, oh, this guy has a background in sumo and, you know, his karate stance is just gives him so much ability to dart in and dart out and to time things and to be where he needs to be. And, and he was tuning rock hold up for the first 30, 45 seconds of that fight or whatever, when he was hitting him at angles. Right. Um, and which makes me wonder about how, how much, how uh, Weidman might match up with him. Right. So there's, so there's that as well. But um, I just thought that, that Machida, couldn't maintain balance which i thought was weird his scrambling was not good at all now part of that was because rock hole was controlling him but i guess the long story short is there just wasn't a vitality to the performance right there just wasn't wasn't a lot of um urgency and it's not because i don't think he wanted to fight that way i just don't think he could just don't think he could. And maybe I should have seen it. I mean, I picked Rockhold to win, but maybe I should have seen that part coming, which I did not. I thought Rockhold was going to have to go in there and earn it, you know? And he did, of course. But uh, I meant in, in like a five-round, like, you know, knock down, drag him out type situation. And uh, that wasn't the case at all. So for me, when he's getting taken up of his feet like that and he can't scramble back and, um, you know, once, once Rockhold was on his back, that was just all Rockhold. But that portion of it was really kind of weird. Just how unable he was to do sort of basic mechanics of movement which is you know the key to his success all these years anyway you know well, to ask a long question about um what the proper amount of market share would be i i am let me just say this before i've said it before i don't care if ufc had almost all the market share if if there was a union or some association to give fighters some level of representation that balanced things out. So to me, I'm, if there's never going to be a fighter's union and there's plenty of reason to believe that there will never be a fighter's union, then the next best thing to that is going to be a diversified, to some extent anyway, diversified um, MMA space where fighters have, the, the fighters gain leverage by leveraging organizations against each other. Um, but I I truly believe that the, probably the optimal system is one where there is one dominant brand, but the fighters have a, a, a fair amount of protections. Uh someone says your thoughts on uh Halle Gracie and your story about him. Um I mean, I don't have, I mean, Read what I wrote. Did Pac-Man do what Maidana did? In the first time with Floyd, Maidana arguably won the first half of the fight. Can Pac-Man do the same or even take seven rounds from money? And is it fair to compare Maidana with Pac-Man? No, I don't think it's fair to compare Maidana with Pac-Man. Um, Maidana did a lot of crowding. I just don't see... I, I see Pacquiao doing a little bit... Pacquiao is a little bit more movement-based. Um, and so for me, even in his declining age, uh, he still needs movement to succeed. And I just think that's what's going to cause him to get chewed to pieces by Pac- or by Mayweather. I heavily favor. Someone's here. Um, There might be a home invasion y'all in which case if I get robbed it's on me. Anyway. Uh, Dana versus a.k.a. What are your thoughts on Dana's comments about a.k.a. and Javier Mendez's response. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that they, these guys don't train so hard because they do or that sparring can't be amended because it can. But I'd also say um, <laughs> the success of AKA speaks for itself. If I were them, I would have had a much more forceful response. I thought their response was deeply underwhelming. Uh, Look, have you heard the final pay-per-view numbers for UFC 184 yet? No, I have not. Uh, Minimorphs and Eddie Bravo drama. Luke, what's your take on the brewing feud between Halle Gracie and Eddie Bravo? Eddie on his podcast was sort of that Halleck approached Gary Tannen, Tonin and Dylan Dennis and then laughed at Eddie when he approached a- him about it. Is Halleck being shady in his business practices or is this all a ruse to create a massive Eddie Bravo versus blah, blah, blah at a future Minimorphs event? Okay, well, here in the real world, we don't, this is not some giant ruse. Okay, this is the real world, so that's not happening um um so mm-hmm. let's talk so let's talk reality. about the reality here i i i, 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 I you know listen i think, think that there was obviously a lot of anger, of anger towards men and more as that came out of, of their stance on women, women much that outrage that that, being uh specifically specifically but um i think that some of the anger of the hearing is fairly fairly absurd and i mean i mean that um I mentioned this. Mentioned this before. I don't think I don't that necessarily that one organization, nation having contracts attracting, people competing, from from competing from other from competing limits limits tournaments, tournaments would be good for, for jujitsu. But that's not but that's what's happening. happening. It's not it's at not the current stage. stage. We're talking about a few guys being signed to exclusive contracts. Gary Tony being one of them. In that particular case, I don't think that would have any real effect on jujitsu generally. I just don't, and I don't think there's any evidence to suggest that it would. If there is, by all means, present it. You can email me at loop.thomas.sbnation.com, but to my knowledge, there is nothing. And to that point, Leandro Lowe is signed to Copapodia, and no one seems to notice or care. Now, there are exemptions, of course. You can do with the Abu Dhabi Pro, which is taking place right now. Um, you can do ADCC and IBJJF tournaments, but, um, you know, these, these sort of super events by these professional grappling organizations he can only do he can only do Copa Podio so um so there's that secondly if you're if you're Morris why would you not want to sign Gary Tonin to an exclusive contract would you not at least make the overture and third there's nothing illegal about trying I mean I'm not sure that it happened but there's nothing illegal about Halleck trying to sign Gary Tonin and Dylan Danis if that's exactly what it, and I reached out to Dylan Dennis and he wouldn't he wouldn't speak about it um but my point being is everyone who is a dominant brand leader in the space, and I would say that Metamorris is probably, at least for now, the dominant brand leader, tries to consolidate their power and tries to consolidate the market share. This is an inevitability. Now, do I begrudge people who don't want that to happen? No, of course not. Do I begrudge people who say that if you're an athlete, you shouldn't sign an exclusive contract? Absolutely not. I understand everyone's perspective. I think what I object to is how people are trying to turn in this particular case not talking about the women issue just this particular case with gary Tonin. i think what i object to is the idea that they're turning Halleck into some sort of sinister um villain about it all when in fact it's in metamorris's interest to do what they're doing and to do what they attempted to do with gary Tonin. unequivocally that's true um whether it's in gary Tonin's interest that's for gary to decide and whether people have objections about what it means for the rest of the sport, um, I am sympathetic to them. I would not I would not want to see Menomores using nothing but exclusive contracts. But for a handful of guys, I don't think it has any real negative impact. I really and truly don't. And I think it's kind of ridiculous some of the blowback that he's taken. I think the blowback on the women issue has been more than fair. But uh, on the issue of signing Gary, and trying to sign Dylan Dennis and having organizations compete with each other. This is reality, folks. You want to be in business? Well, you better get ready to knuckle up because this is how it goes. Why would you want someone to go and take one of your guys you're trying to sign to an exclusive contract and let him just go compete because you're supposed to have some sort of, you know, sympathetic feeling about the nature of the sport. Get real. This is not how the world works. If you have objections to it, I understand. I'm not saying your objections are misplaced, but your objections is like, how could Halleck do this? this would be bad for jujitsu. He's not in the interest of helping jiu-jitsu as such. It's a secondary ancillary benefit. He's in the interest of promoting Metamorris. And moreover, as an evidentiary claim, signing a handful of guys to exclusive contracts but not using them generally, as an evidentiary claim of hurting the sport, you have no claim, zero. There is no evidence that it would hurt the sport if a few guys signed exclusive contracts to Metamorris. If a whole bunch did, or they did nothing but that. Very different argument. But signing Gary Tonnen and maybe two or three other guys. Sorry, y'all. I don't. I don't see it. I just don't see it. Uh, okay, he's back. Uh, Frodo Hospital live. had signed with uh, World Series of Fighting. He announced he was going to be fighting Rick Glenn at World Series of Fighting 21, but Glenn pulled out. Nevertheless, what do you think of Frodo signing with World Series of Fighting? Well, I wish he could have come back to Bellator because um, I, yeah, I, I think their featherweight division is pretty great. Um, but uh, i'm just happy for the guy that he's got a chance to compete i thought for the hospital live was season 10 that he was just wrecking shop season nine maybe i thought that he was the mo- one of the most impressive guys that they had found under the previous sort of sam kaplan and uh b revenue regime i love the way he competed i love the chip on his shoulder i thought his wins over sandro and richmond and uh, and uh, i think it was Guerrero were incredible uh i i think he's an awesome guy i hope he hasn't declined too much i hope he still got it because because I I just think he's fantastic. Artem Levin and Simon Marcus. uh, Who do you have winning in the fight and how? By the way, I don't think I'm a part... I don't know what my future is with Glory, if I'm just being honest. Um, They have not asked me to be a part of the uh, Glory 21 show, and it's like, what, May 8th? May 9th? May 8th? So I don't think I'm going to be a part of it. Um, uh, They haven't told me anything formally, but I don't really know what my future holds with them, to be honest. But nevertheless, wish them all the best, of course. Uh, But in terms of this fight... um, levin and marcus yeah i just don't see how levin loses this one i think just generally speaking without even addressing a particular opponent he's the best middleweight um kickboxer on earth and marcus you know he had a decent run but those were two close fights that he had um at abu, in abu dhabi dubai excuse me in dubai and um i just don't think his style has perfectly adapted to the glory rules yet whereas levin's open spacing and not you know not being so heavily tied to the Thai style um uh, it's just going to be fantastic. I also think Simon Marcus gets tired. I don't think Artem Levin does. I like Artem Levin heavily in that fight. Let's see, let's see, let's see. What is your most unpopular MMA opinion? For example, I believe Jake Shields is a visually pleasing fighter to watch. His technique and execution is fantastic. A most unpopular MMA opinion. Wow, um oops. Hold on. Better. Sounds good. Sorry about that. Uh let's see. Most unpopular MMA opinion. Um Barbas, quit whining. I would say my most unpopular MMA opinion is. Um, I don't know. I probably got a lot of unpopular opinions. Uh, I'll tell you what, I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion because you might even agree with it, but it's something that uh, troubles me. It isn't. No, of, uh, it's not even unpopular. Who do I like or what do I like that people don't? Um... I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure I've got many of them. Uh, I have to get back to you. I'll write you on that one. I don't know. It's a good question. I really don't know. Um, let's see. Mighty Mouse Grumbles. Luke. What do you think of the, the Demetrius Johnson's uh, latest statements regarding fighters being credited or blamed for the success or failure of a promotion and the sport of MMA being unique in this way? Uh, I, I think he's wrong, and I think he's not wrong. You know, on the one hand... He's not wrong because, um, right, other sports, as I mentioned before, if you're a Division One athlete out of University of Florida, or Florida State or something like that, you're trained from the moment you step on campus on how to talk to the media, like, and you're talking to them in a way where you want to, you know, not make it about you and make it about the program and you're giving talking points and, you know, how to make the process what it is and in a way that, uh, you know, you, unless there's some sort of compelling reason outside of that, to make it about the school and the team and about their success and nothing else. Um, this is, you know, in direct contrast to MMA where you have to be loud and obnoxious and, uh, you don't have to be, but often it works to your benefit to do so. Um, and these other guys don't have to worry about that. If you're the quarterback for, you know, whoever, in fact, the more Robert Griffin, the third talks, the more everyone hates him, right? It's just, there's a, he's better off when he doesn't say anything. Um, And so on that level, Mighty Mouse is correct. On the other hand, I just think that's a, there's just an awareness of what MMA is in order, that has to happen in order for you to properly grasp the situation here. MMA has roots in carnival barking that I don't think it's ever really going to escape. There's that fact. But more to the point, at its highest highs, um, MMA is and combat sports generally, I mean, look what Pacquiao Mayweather is going to do. And these guys have barely promoted this thing, you know, but generally speaking, at its highest highs, it can enjoy things where it doesn't necessarily require that. But MMA by itself, people who just love MMA, there's not many of them. And I don't mean like, oh, I watch UFC a lot. I don't watch UFC. I mean, strip out everything from MMA except just the fights themselves. There's a small audience for that, very small, people who just want to watch the sport. It's like jujitsu, like these people may or may not talk before tournaments. Did you hear any like beef between Keenan Cornelius and Victor Estima before they competed recently? You heard nothing. And yet they're that's just how the sport works. They don't they don't operate on that way. It's partly why it's not really a spectator sport. But to to elevate it beyond that. Um, you have to add in all these various stakes and some of the stakes are phony and some of the stakes are real and some are some uh, a blended amalgamation between the two um, and that's how you get to that next level. But if you're just talking about the core essence of what MMA is, I love MMA absent any other stakes, but I am a very, 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 I'm a member of a tiny minority. MMA is low to the earth, super low to the earth. It needs other things to make it be what it is at its highest level. Yes, it needs, you know, you can't have it up there and have it just be phony. You have to have the raw ingredients to have, you know, you need a Cormier versus a Jones and a rivalry to elevate it to the stars. You need all that. Um, You have to have an Olympian versus the greatest fighter maybe ever in a heated rivalry, but you have to have that rivalry. This not just happen on its own. And so once you recognize that and once you just accept it, then you can begin to say, well, what do I want to do about that? And if Mighty Mouse's answer is, I don't really want to do anything about that. I want to just be who I am and collect the checks I'm collecting because I love my life and I like my job and I'm good at it and I don't really feel the need to do anything else, then who could fault him? Who could fault him, you know? But if he's going to say things like, well, other sports, you know, they don't have to do this. Well, that's because those other sports are, you know, Infinitely more popular, and they're such a deeper part of our sporting culture and uh, human experience. You go up, I, I if I drive from here to my office at SB Nation, uh, I have to take, you know, Rhode Island Avenue. Well, to do that, I have to pass a ballpark where I see Pee Wee football, and then I have to pass a high school, and then I have to pass, you know, Howard University and everything else. Like you have to see just how much American football is a part of the American experience or basketball. I have to, sp- I have to pass a million basketball courts. I don't pass many MMA gyms, you know, I don't, I mean, you can go find a couple, but, uh, you get the idea. Like these are just deeply ingrained parts of our lives, of our identities, of our shared communal experiences of, um, our individual experiences. And so, they just enjoy a significantly greater degree of popularity. To say nothing of MMA's violence up close um, that is, you know, disconcerting for another wide portion of the population. So that's why. At its core, absent, you know, um, carny racial tension or absent, you know, um, other forms of tension, uh, and and intrigue at its just its tiniest core, two men fighting in a cage, appeals to very few people. I already answered the AKA one. On your analyst podcast, you talked about fighters evolving. That there wasn't much more evolving that they could possibly do eventually soon. Um, describe how you would expect the perfectly evolved fighter to look like. Well, I mean. Um, a coach once told me something that I thought was pretty interesting, and I don't even know if the concept is coherent, but it's good to think about as a matter of training, which was imagine there's an Android. Imagine this Android is programmed to do the perfect things in all situations. Now, what does it mean to do the perfect things? This is where the analogy falls apart, but like just without 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 challenging the idea too much, just accept that, that point. Imagine there's an Android. And the Android is programmed to do the perfect situation in all things, in a jiu-jitsu match, in a wrestling match, in a fight, whatever. So when you find yourself in a particular situation, you then refer to that. You say, okay, I'm locked up in a collar tie here. What would the Android do? And then you begin to plan your attacks and everything else, right? Um, it would be so- The answer would be something like that, where you would have a series of responses such that you could refer to the Android and say, how closely does my ability mimic the available choices here? Uh, Obviously that's an impossibility, but I want to review the idea here real quickly, which is to say, I don't think that we'll ever stop evolving. There will always be some matter of evolution. There will always be some matter of change. But I think what I would still say is every time there's a new generation of fighters, the gap between them gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So there was these quantum leaps that's been happening last, you know, sort of graduating classes of fighters that I think you're going to see that those quantum leaps are going to go away. You're going to see them much, 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 much smaller. They're going st- to still going to be noticeable, but they're going to be smaller. Uh, let's see. Let's go to the uh, Twitter machine if we can. Uh your most unpopular opinion is your disdain for MMA fans. Well, some MMA fans, anyway. Um, off topic, does it feel weird sitting in a room talking to yourself? Well, I'm talking to you, but I'm the only one talking in this room. So, yes, it always feels weird doing this. This is one of these things where I did, and I was like, is anyone really going to watch this? And then everyone did, or at least a lot of people did. And I was like, well, I guess I'll keep doing it. Um... Look in Jim Miller's fight, he spiked Dariush pretty badly. I know it's illegal and especially dangerous. Your thoughts? I need to see it again. I remember seeing it and wondering if it was borderline. But without seeing it again, I don't want to say too much. If Conor wins the belt and if his first defense is at Croke Park, what is the best time for the American pay-per-view audiences? I think they'd just bite the bullet. They would try to have it maybe – I mean, if there's a curfew, especially at Croke Park, they, they might just try and do the Abu Dhabi thing. They might try and put it on Fox. I don't know what they're going to do. But I think they would just put it at the time they had to put it at Croke Park I'll let the chips fall where they may um i know it's not as relevant but stylistically how does rampage fabio possibly suck um i don't think it will suck in the sense that like it's hard not to like a slug fest if you're a purist or you're just not interested in that style of fighting from rampage it might suck relative to your expectations but i I just have a hard time seeing how this is a jab fest or a, a takedown fest. I just don't I just don't see it. Um you think Bisping will ever get a title shot in the UFC? I find it unlikely. Do you think it's a good idea to make all fights between top ten guys five rounds? It would be a great idea. It's just not logistically possible. More effective. Retweets or likes? Retweets. All right, let's go back to the, uh, what do you think will be the result of the Mayweather-Pacquiao fight? Um, Mayweather has a lot of tools. You should check out Connor. Uh, is it Rubush? I can never pronounce his name properly either. Connor Rubush over a bloody elbow and uh, bad left hook. Talks about a lot of different stylistic matchups and what to expect. In the end, though, from a general perspective, I think what you're looking for is the following. Mayweather said this and folks just sort of dismissed it. And I don't understand why, because it was like the most honest thing Mayweather's ever said. Someone said to him, are you going to knock Pacquiao out? He's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to try, obviously. But um, they're like, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I don't know. But whatever he does, I'm just going to take it away from him. uh, Truer words have never been spoken, right? Truer words have never been spoken. Mayweather is good at many things. He's sort of known as a defensive fighter. But what he really, to me, excels at is between rounds, the adjustments that he makes. So if you haven't buzzed him or hurt him or forced him to make poor choices early, you've already sealed your fate. By rounds 10, 11, and 12, he's so hard to hit and hurt. I was by rounds nine, really. Uh, There are some exceptions to that of his latter portion of his career. I think... think, um, I think Cotto touched him up in round 9 and 10 of their fight, but I think he got dropped into the 11th or 12th. Um, but you get the idea. If you haven't hurt him early and forced him to make bad decisions or you know, found a way to get him to think twice about what he's doing early, you have no prayer later. You have no prayer. None. Zero. And so that's what I'm looking for is if you see Pacquiao losing by rounds three or four, it's going to be a long night for him. Are you stoked to see Ben Askren back in action? Always like seeing Ben Askren fight, but he's just going to roll over this guy short of some sort of miracle. Uh, what about Nate Diaz? I don't know what's going to happen with Nate Diaz, man. I thought I thought the Pettis fight made a lot of sense, but they wanted to go with Jury. I mean, I thought that doesn't make sense. That makes sense in a lesser way. Um, but I don't really know what's going to happen. He just seems so dissatisfied with state of things. If Joanna would ask for a fight, who would you give the title shot? I think Gadelia would be great. I like the first match, and to be honest, I thought she won that fight too. So let them fight for five rounds. Let's have to see who is the better one. Yeah, I like that one as well. People don't want to like don't like it because of the in this the division and and someone just sort of rising back to the top already. But um, for her, I don't think a third fight if Gedelia lost would be that objectionable, right? It wouldn't be this fight where you're like, oh, man, how can we give her a third shot, look at all those other contenders, and be like, eh, all right, who we'll cares, fine, sure, whatever. Um, on his podcast with Douglas Crosby. Did you see it, and how often do you think about it? Or what do you think about it? Uh, it just sounded weird to me. I'm not going to say it was phony, but it sounded like the two were like purposely doing what they were doing, understand, like... <laughs> It just didn't sound like a real conversation. I'm not saying it's fake. I'm maybe the guys were turning it on on purpose, or maybe they were angry and it sounded that way. But it just didn't feel like. How do you not hang up on that guy? I'd have hung up on him in two seconds. I'd have been like, "All right, we're just we're just turning this off." You know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna text you and see what's up with that. Alistair Overeem, if he fights JDS and he wins. Do you think he deserves the title shot? Deserve? I don't know. Fight you can sell? Easily. Next lightweight contender. RDA will probably fight in November if Pettis makes quick work of Miles Jury. Could you see a potential title contender fight with the winner of Habib Cerrone around September, especially Cerrone? I don't see him having to wait a whole half year to fight again. Habib talked a lot of trash about Pettis, so prove it, Habib. Uh, I think that they're going to make that fight no matter what the calendar. Let's see, good question. New Reebok sponsor rules, how peeved is Eddie Alvarez and what effect does this have on new big name fighters coming into the UFC? There's so many unknowns to this, it's really hard to effectively answer. I guess what I would say is if you're a new fighter like Eddie Alvarez, you probably can't love this idea. On the other hand, I don't see how tenure is a worse idea than rankings. Rankings just seem to me to be like, such a bad idea, so bad. Like, we're going to base an important thing on something that is l- utterly lacking in any substantive uh, credit. I, I just don't, I don't, I don't I don't understand that at all. So kudos to UFC for making the right move. But to me, all these issues are like so irrelevant. They're so irrelevant. Like, yes, tenure is better than uh, rankings, but tenure has its own problems too. As you noted, should a guy like Eddie Alvarez be making more? than Gleason T-Bow in terms of sponsorship money. I mean, um, I understand all that. Uh, For guys coming in, maybe they'll sweeten the pot some other way. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how that's going to work. We we just don't have any answers to this program. But for me, no one is challenging the six-year $70 million figure. And when you begin to do that math, I cannot personally believe that in six years, all they merit is $70 million. Uh, I just can't believe that. I cannot believe after all those years, that's all, That's what the total summation of the market is. I have a hard, hard time believing that, which is to say, if you're taking out whatever everyone can earn and you're only putting in 70 million, you're not putting in enough. So my my point is whether it's by tenure or by fighter rankings, I mean, I'm not saying that doesn't matter because it does, but that doesn't address the core problem. For me, the core problem is what are you gonna do with that monster energy money? Is the Monster Energy logo going to go on the uniforms? And if so, do the fighters get a cut? If they get a cut, how much? Do they get half of it? Do they get 25%? Who's negotiating on their behalf? To me, I do not believe that the UFC is sitting there acting like, we're going to screw these fighters. I don't believe that at all. But I also don't believe that someone else can act on my behalf if I haven't consented to that. Like if I haven't hired an attorney, I do not expect this attorney to act on my behalf. Especially if I make money at your expense. So they're just not positioned to to by no well I mean they're the ones creating the situation but they're not positioned to be able to give fighters the return that they would ask for themselves it's just not it's not it's just not possible it's not possible so tenure versus these these questions are irrelevant to me is they're totally irrelevant but what's relevant is. What's happening to all the money that's being taken out? Are you putting it back in? And there's just not a lot of evidence to suggest that $70 million is even close to what it's supposed to be over a six-year run. Moreover, like, what I just don't understand is, you know, you have some guys, people are like, oh, well, these guys don't have to go out and get sponsors. Okay, that's true. That's totally true for a lot of fighters who just could not, you know, you saw the Mac Danzigs and, and other guys like that who just, you know, either it was too much trouble or they didn't want to go through with it or they just couldn't find it. Um, and to that extent, I think the Reebok deal is great. I, I, I didn't think that the guys having different sponsors was like the biggest deal in the world. I also don't think it's the worst point that you say you want to clean it up and you want to have, you know, a, 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 um, a, um, you know, a, a more professional look to the fighters in the cage. I don't think that's the worst idea in the world either. I think that's fine. Um, but it should not be the supplement to what these guys can earn. It should be the bottom line. You know, I realize we're far past this point now, so this is sort of like all pie in the sky, how many angels can you fill in the head of a pin type discussion. But it seems to me quite fair. You have the Reebok deal where you could award it on tenure or rankings, whatever you want, but guys who are, and you can get approved sponsors, You know, um, who are approved can then add a logo to various different positions on a fighter's uniform, be it a track jacket on the walkout, be it a hat after the fact, be it on the shorts themselves. You know, maybe you're only allowed one more logo on the shorts themselves. Um, And you can add a different stuff to to, uh, the jacket or the pants or the hat or, or something, something, or a walkout shirt that you give away, but maybe don't even wear. I don't know. There's all kinds of different possibilities here. But my point being is like, how does it hurt anyone for Johnson to keep his Xbox sponsorship? we're going to get rid of this to look to have a look of cleanliness this seems to me not intentionally but otherwise deeply punitive deeply punitive why are we why I, I can't even make I can't even make heads or tails of it to be to be perfectly honest um I don't know I don't know what the answer is there. I, I I just don't get it. I just don't get it. So look, maybe they are going to get a cut of that monster energy money. And maybe this is a different conversation, but just the Reebok money does not appear by any calculation to be enough. And if they are going to get the monster money, how much? How's that going to be distributed? Shouldn't this be like, this should be known. And again, it's I, I also think though, just to end on this question, this is what happens when fighters don't organize, you know? If you don't want to organize and you don't want to put in a situation where you want to have an association and do anything about it, then you're just going to let these guys do what they're going to do. And again, they're, I don't think they're out there to just go, oh, you know what, we don't care about you. You can just go and do whatever you want. You know, they don't it's not that situation. But they're just not positioned to have this, they don't have the same interests as fighters. They have overlapping interests, but they're not completely overlapping. There's space where they're not apart. And without representation, the space where the fighters' interests aren't being represented are irrelevant. So, you know, who is UFC supposed to go talk to? The, the the there is no fighters' union, there is no fighters' association. So they're just going to go and do what they're going to do, and unless you give them somebody to talk to, they don't exist. So this situation, to me, you know, the debate about ten-year versus rankings is like 001 percent of what really matters. Do you have any idea when we will see another post-fight scrum from Dana? Uh, Probably never. What do you think about DISH dropping UFC pay per view Is this a big thing or a typical spat between a telecom and a content provider? Very typical in the sense that these things happen all the time. Um, I wonder if it's over a cut of pay-per-views. I remember speaking to somebody years ago, not years ago, but maybe a year or two ago, maybe two years, whatever. About uh, Bellator going to pay per view, and they had been told that the cable companies felt that the decline in pay per view generally, not that they thought Bellator was going to come save the day, but that if there are more people trying to get into the pay per view space, that means there's at least a little bit more money for them um, to take a cut of. So they were all, hey, like they were all too happy to have um, Bellator try. And you know, I don't maybe they had unrealistic expectations about what Bellator could do, but they were at least enthusiastic about the opportunity. Long story short, I just wonder. You know, this is speculation, so. There's your disclaimer. I just wonder if they're having a dispute. Typically, these things are over um, who gets what and how much. you know. And clearly, DISH probably feels like they're not getting the same return that they once were. They probably want a bigger slice of the pie. Um, UFC probably is objecting to that. They both are dug in. I expect that they will eventually reach a resolution. And they might even reach one um, before Saturday. Uh, a lot of these times, these things happen at the 11th hour, so never discount that possibility as well. But to me, this probably comes down to... One person wanting more and one person not wanting to give that ground. Um, not sure which way that's going. Maybe UFC wants more. Who knows? Uh, but that's almost always what these are about is about a share of of the pie. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's 231. We got to go. Guys, you may follow me on Twitter at SBN Luke Thomas. Barbus is over there pouting. Um, email me at luke.thomas at SBNation.com and like me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Luke T Sports. Shouts to uh, Facebook for verifying me on there. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, so we're going to have coverage of the UFC 186 Media Day right after this. My article comes out at 3 p.m. Remember to give it a like, give it a share, and until next time, stay frosty.